what does a good conversation feel like at the end? It, it, it might feel like progress. It might feel like familiarity. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, I want to buy that or we're going in the right path. It just, it continues to evolve. On this episode of Breaking Sales, Dan and I sit down with Michael Velichka and Sean Cadigan, two senior sales directors at Point B. These two have decades of experience consulting enterprise-level leaders on multi-million dollar projects. Despite the wealth of expertise and knowledge they bring to their efforts each and every day, they continue to embrace improvement and a growth mindset. They share what it's been like to integrate the Lapin 180 process and methodology into their business development efforts and how it's improved the conversations they're having with clients and prospects. Let's join the conversation now. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a nonconformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. It's been an interesting experience so far. You know, we've had some recent successes when we've applied some of the principles and methodology, but it has been challenging to kind of move your mindset, right? So you've been doing this for 30 years and all of a sudden we've got this new way to do it that you feel good about, that you can certainly see the benefits of, but making that reality has certainly been challenging and, and, and difficult in the sense of trusting the process. Yeah, for, for our listeners, I mean, think about this. Think how hard this would be. So we all get accustomed to routines and habits and we get into these comfort zones and we enjoy the familiar. So for our listeners, think about this. It's Friday night. You want to go to this restaurant you always go to. And you go to this restaurant because it's familiar. You get the same dish or same one of three dishes. You might sit in the same area, the same part of the bar. You have the same server and you go and it just feels good because it's easy. And then all of a sudden the restaurant goes out of business and you got to find a new restaurant. As simple as that sounds, go through that experience. You know, pick a new restaurant for the next four weeks and see how you feel when you're telling yourself you can't go to what you're familiar with. And so I, I think that's a great way to, for people to experience this idea of trying something new and doing something different. It's, it's not as easy as it sounds. Partnering in this change is one of the, the key elements that I've learned uh, recently, right? Having a, a partner in this change behavior in Sean has been has been monumental in, in keeping each other on task and debriefing in our conversations and sticking to what we're trying to achieve that might be different than what we're comfortable with. So holding each other accountable has been a big part of this. Working with Kylie is a big part of this to constantly be looking at how we're evaluating our conversations, what we're seeking in those conversations, and how we're executing in those conversations to ensure that our prospects are guiding and driving the conversation, but we are looking for them to answer certain questions or to, to move down the path in a way that we believe is, is best. Michael, you mentioned what you're seeking in those conversations. Do you mind expanding on that a little bit has anything shifted for you from what you were seeking in your conversations with clients and prospects prior to some of this training and maybe a different approach? Most definitely. Prior approaches were very focused on what solutions we believed they needed 
and proving to them in that process that we had the right solution before we knew everything we could know about their current state and before we let them partner with us on what the best outcome might look like. We may end up in the exact same place that we thought we wanted to be at the beginning of the conversation, but by letting our clients or our prospects drive those conversations by us guiding them, we've gotten to different velocity with our path forward, with the ability to uh, collaborate on an outcome that we can support, right? Whether that's a sale, whether that's additional knowledge, whether that's some other sort of advice or advisory capability, really starting with our clients and our prospects on the microphone and with them sharing more has been very helpful in getting to a, a more robust outcome. Let's back up a little bit even on that, Michael, right? So I know you guys do a lot of prep and traditional prep would be you pull a team together and you would pull that team together based on their expertise in the vertical that they've had the experiences in. And you guys would think about what questions are we going to ask, but you would also think about what solutions do we have that they might be interested in. And then when you went in there, as much as you guys would want to ask questions, that prospect might say, hey, we're having some challenges with this transformation, or we're having some challenges in this part of our business and streamlining. And before you know it, there'd be quite a few of your teammates with a lot of expertise that might be starting to jump in with solutions and you guys haven't really learned anything yet. So how has that all shifted now? Can the two of you share a little bit how you guys prep now for these meetings and how that started to shift? Yeah, that's a good point, Dan. I mean, I, we've got two recent examples where we were introduced to some executives and in industries that we're highly focused in and they had some issues that they wanted to solve for, right? Some challenges. The typical email, hey, we got your name from so-and-so, uh, come on in and talk to us about this problem. I want to learn where you've done this before and, and who you've worked with in the past. So right off the gate, we're in sales mode. That's the expectation. And so Michael and I now pull that back and we reframe it back to the potential prospect and say, that's great. But before we get into that, we need to learn a little bit more about you know, the situation and the genesis of such. And then from there, we can listen and learn and add content and questions appropriately that drive the conversation to a more productive outcome, which is more client-centric. And so our preps take that framework into consideration now so that when we get our teams together, it's really about the client, right? Here's the, the problem that they've provided. Here is how we want to tackle the conversation. Right. It's client first, it's it's solution second. And it's really around that how and if statement that you guys always use with us. How and if we can help, if at all. And if we can't, that's okay. So it really takes away the tension and a lot of the biases of a sales experience and it creates more of a productive collaborative discussion that's proven to be quite successful. You said something interesting, Sean, and I loved it. You said how you're able to reduce some of that pre-meeting tension that you're feeling. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what would that feel like maybe two years ago or a year and a half ago? And what does it feel like now? And maybe you share a little bit more about that how and if part that you'd mentioned. I would say the tension prior to engaging with uh, the LAP and training program was we got to sell something. 
we've got to try to help a client, but it's really rooted in what's point B want to do, right? Around that solution or capability that we want to focus in on. We hear something and we just drive right to, hey, we can help solve that. And is it the right answer? Maybe, maybe not. Is the timing right? Maybe, maybe not. And so now our mindset is more of a neutral mindset where we're not here to sell anything. We're not here to solve anything. We're here to listen and learn and see if we can help. And that just changes the dynamic. So that tension is no longer, it's humanized. This, this process now has been humanized where we're having conversations that are very comfortable, they're normal, and the clients are, are more engaged and more comfortable, I would say, in engaging with us. And the results would, would bear that out. So I think that the tension is gone. Our goals and what we're trying to accomplish are not point B centric, it's more client centric. Michael, what's your thoughts on all this? Previously, the tension in our preparation was about how much information we had to jam into our conversation to tell our clients. It was also about having a preconceived decision tree. If they say this, we say that. If they want to talk about that, we call on this person, right? It was this pre-scripted feeling that if we didn't have our first 14 plays scripted, we were behind. Now, what happens is we let the clients drive the conversation by setting the agenda, by setting the definition of value. And a lot of that even happens before we start the conversation. If they have to go early, if they need to shorten the meeting, those are signals that they're not interested in having a conversation today, or it's not rising to the value that, that they deem a priority. And so that's easy for us to detach on that and say, when you're ready, let's have that conversation, but not today. We can start to take some cues from our clients and our prospects early. And then in that conversation, when they say, I want to learn about this, or I need to talk through this problem, that's what we indulge in versus our agenda of oversharing or pushing down a certain path. It's much easier to provide value when they're setting the definition of value early in the conversation. That shift takes a lot of mental work. How did you get yourself to that place where you were okay saying, hey, you know what, if you're if this isn't a priority right now, that's okay. We don't need to spend as much time on this as we had planned. You're right. It's a, it's a habit that dies hard because we have this feeling of scarcity when we're with our, our clients and our prospects. Their time is valuable. We want to move forward with either a yes or a no. And what happens when you let go of that tension is you realize that you weren't actually having an impact on the outcome anyway. It was preordained if they were going to say yes or no. And what, what we discover by detaching like that is we can provide a better relationship and a better experience by letting the prospect drive the conversation because it gets to where they're going to go anyway. And it, it actually builds tension, negative tension, when we're holding on to that script so tightly. So what got me to that place was trying it a few times. And letting the reality be the, the guide. What was it like trying it the first couple times? It's healthy. I mean, it feels good. We're in a position where we have a robust network. This isn't a startup. We're not going to shut down if we don't have a good conversation right now. So there's a little bit of that mindset that you have to take a step back and understand the, the larger picture and the annual goals and the five-year plan have to be front and center versus the one-hour plan. And so when you focus on that bigger picture, it allows you to try new techniques because they're not offensive. They're not pushy. They're not challenger. They're, they're really consultative. 
They're really client and human centered, which makes a better experience for everyone, regardless of the outcome. If that conversation is enjoyable by everyone on the phone, we're more likely to have a future conversation, regardless of a yes or a no or immediate next steps. So it's trying it. It's seeing the big picture and trying new things that work and and then tweaking along the way, which Sean and I do in in a debrief or in a prep for our next meeting. We look at what's worked. We do a retrospective and we constantly tweak on the model. Can you think of a moment where you were in one of these conversations and there was just something you wanted to say or something you wanted to ask, but you had the one voice on your shoulder, especially at the beginning that was saying, hey, be careful here. This meeting seems to be going really well. It seems like they may want to talk again or they might want some kind of proposal. So don't screw it up. But the other voice over here was saying to you guys, well, wait a minute. We need to find this out. This is something important that we need to understand how they're thinking about this or why they're thinking that way. And then the other voice kicks in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let it go. Let it let it go. You're you're, going to end up getting a chance to propose anyways. Have you ever had any of those moments in a conversation? And and if so, can you share one? Dan, I've got a couple. And I think you're you're using the word propose, which is which is interesting because after the conversations, we shouldn't be proposing. We should be fortifying what we've already discussed. We should be memorializing the conversation with either a statement of work or a set of notes. When that first voice you mentioned says, just stop talking because we've got a green light to propose, in three days, you're going to be wondering to answer the question that the other shoulder is is asking now. And if we can't memorialize those facts, these are things like budget, key decision makers, when we need to get started or what what's at jeopardy if we don't do this well, right? Someone's career potentially, a division gets shut down. We're missing elements of reality that need to go into that proposal as you're, as you're terming it. But we should be closing as much of these details as possible in those live conversations so that there aren't, there isn't any guesswork that goes into those documents. And so that's why the second shoulder should be winning is Again, if you're thinking about the annual plan or the five-year plan, we've already started the work. We've gotten to the next phase. Well, where are we going to trip up and where where's the client going to have a bad experience? Or where's the prospect going to see some chasm between what we talked about and what their experience is? So that's why you listen to the person on the second shoulder, because those are all pieces of reality that we'll all face in due time. So I think, again, that future thinking mindset, that detachment of getting an opportunity to help versus really partnering and collaborating creates a a different experience in those initial conversations. Sean, any examples that you can think of where you had the back and forth, one on one shoulder, one on the other, and you had to make a decision what you were going to do? It's it's become easier now. You know, we go back to trust the process, right? So we've, we've adjusted our process and it's become more comfortable to be able to lean on that second shoulder voice versus the the first shoulder voice, right? And when you start doing it and you start to see the positive reaction and the engagement back from the prospect, when you ask those difficult questions or you challenge a particular statement or, or idea that's necessary to drive to the right outcome on behalf of the client, you get more confident that this is the way to do it and you do it more and more and it becomes part of that process. Can you guys think like, of a specific interaction maybe where there was a reaction that a prospect gave you that you kind of sat back and thought, huh, this is working. 
it's what you're missing, actually, that makes you have that reality. So it's not always a, yes, I love this statement. It's lack of friction. It's a, a fluidity that exists where you almost don't make that realization until you hang up that, how do we define that call? Was that a sales call? Was it a prospecting call? Was that a delivery call? Was that an advisory call? Because it doesn't fit the, the natural tension that we talked about in the prep. What does a good conversation feel like at the end? It, it, it might feel like progress. It might feel like familiarity. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, I want to buy that or we're going in the right path. It just, it continues to evolve. So it's actually, Dan, for me, it's the lack of tension or friction that makes you realize you're going down a, a positive, productive path with a prospect or you're, you're building the relationship through the conversation versus something that specifically happens. So is it like a lack of tension for both of you? If I'm going to connect the dots here, like you're walking in not feeling tension because you don't have to go script on all your responses and all your questions, right? They said this, we say that. They say this, we say that, right? You don't feel that tension anymore, nor do you feel tension like you have to be ready with some profound way to communicate a solution because you're there to learn. So that's your tension that you've released. But are you also saying too that it's easy to tell when it's working because that prospect, you can tell they feel less tension too? That's right. They're not being told what to do. They're being guided and advised. I will say the preparation that's important to this to think about where this client is or this prospect is in their journey through their business challenges, through their tactical challenges, through their strategic challenges, so that when we're having these conversations, we're not just asking generic questions, right? These need to be industry or function specific conversations that we are ready to have. Meaning we can't bring in somebody from a totally different industry and get all the way through the conversation as successfully as if we're tailored. So I don't want that to be missed in this conversation where you can bring someone in to flow the conversation without any domain relevance. That's more difficult. We have the domain relevance. We have the peer base, if you will, to those executives. And then yes, then it becomes natural without without the tension on the on the prospect side because they feel comfortable discussing what's happening and what their needs are. And they're commiserating and partnering and asking for help as, as much as they're being told what to do. The feedback we received on a couple post-engagement debriefs that they really felt comfortable working with us because we listened. And we also debated and challenged in the right way, in a respectful, appropriate way that made them think through what they're doing and why, and is there a better course of action? And sometimes that netted out to we could help them, and sometimes it netted out to a different path forward, but ultimately it was in their best interest, and they were very appreciative of the approach and the process that we engaged them through to get to those decisions, those tough decisions that they needed to make, and the results that would come with them, good, bad, or different. So when you guys think about a conversation that doesn't lead to something immediate, the old scarcity way of thinking that of that about that would be what? Why didn't it turn into something, right? We need it to turn into something. <laughs> and during the conversation, what might you guys be doing because you needed it to turn into something? As that conversation's winding down, what might you have been doing? I think we'd probably be pressing a bit to get 
something, whether it's another meeting, whether it's, hey, can we help you with something that's maybe not in our wheelhouse, right? It would just, we'd be, I feel like we'd be grasping a little bit for something that's not there versus now, if we end up netting out to it's not the right time or we can't help, we're very comfortable with that. And usually those conversations come back around at some point down the road. And back to the, the concept of it's kind of preordained. If what Trontran, we have needs and we we're seeking support versus we're not. When you get desperate, when you get scarcity mindset, you start pushing and you have a less honest conversation. You have a, um, a worse experience from all parties and you're less likely to be able to pick up that conversation again in the future. Um, because we go from a very calm and collaborative environment to a pushy desperation environment. I, I don't think many people want to join that type of conversation again in the future. And so we start abandoning and, and tarnishing our, our reputation and brand in the last 10 minutes because we're grasping at straws, as Sean said, which then actually decreases the value of our networking and the, the value of our conversations in the future. It makes it harder, right, to get that invite back, right? Because you guys are playing the long game. I got another question for you guys where I know I've experienced this. You're having this discussion and you're doing this great job of staying detached with high intent and that abundance, right? And you don't feel tension. You actually feel like it's a very fluid conversation, the prospects being honest. You're even a little surprised that you're getting a little vulnerability from them as well. It's progressing. And that prospect came into the meeting, maybe not thinking that they needed some help from point B. But as the conversation went on, it started to look like the prospect was starting to recognize that maybe there is a few areas they could use some help. Have you had that moment where you're like, okay, I just went from detached to attached now because this has gone a lot better than I thought it was going to go. Have you guys had those moments and what happened? What'd you do? I think that's human nature to ride that momentum and, and feel that excitement if things are going the way you hope they were. Again, that's the definition of hope, right? Like, what are we hoping for? You can't, I, I don't know, Dan, maybe you figured this out because you're a guru, but can you completely detach from what success looks like and not truly not care? No, I don't think that's true. There's always some, like, why are we doing this, right? Um, that still exists. But when you find yourself in those places of getting excited and, and feeling the momentum swing in the direction that you want it to, that's when there is a, a lot more clarity because you're not, I'll say it this way, the attachment comes when you're trying to get over that hump to figure out which way you're headed. And when you get there, I think most people's human nature is to relieve that tension because you feel like we're going the right direction. And I don't sense that we risk attachment now because we just have to finish the play, right? We're on the, the one yard line, don't fumble that men mentality. At least, Sean, in our experience, it hasn't been that the tension actually builds at the very end of the conversation, at the end of the process. I think that's a reality early in the conversation or in the process. And at the end, we're at our best because we're just partnering, right? We've already set the tone. So for us, at least in our conversations, I haven't felt that. Sean, I don't know how you'd respond. Yeah, I would agree, Michael. You know, I think back on that conversation we had recently where the prospect was like, she said multiple times, I just, I can't believe this. We're like so in sync with what we want to do and how you think about what we want to do. Like, are you sure you haven't seen any of this material beforehand? Right. And at that moment you can be like, oh, we got them. Right. And it's really, you got to take a step back, trust the process, continue on and make sure that this is the right path forward 
and, and solution for the client. But it is easy to jump forward a bit when you do get that positive feedback. You just got to take a, a moment to reset your mind and, and stay in the moment. Can you share a little bit about how you prep now? And then maybe also share what is your post-conversation process? You know, what is that debrief? I would say, Dan, that the prep now is is more making sure that we have our structure in place, who's going to do what and why, and then make sure that we stay true to that during the conversation, regardless of where it may go or the turns it may take. It's client-centric now. It's really that high-intent, neutral mindset where we go in and say, okay, this conversation is going to be about this particular topic. And we know we can help with this particular topic, but there's other things that we need to understand. And so we don't want to be assumptive or do uh, the time together a disservice. So we're very clear that this is what we want to do and why. And so far, I've been well received. And then from a debrief perspective, it's it's a similar uh, structure in the sense of, okay, what did we learn? Is this something that makes sense? Can we do it? Are they ready? Who else do we need? for this next step, if there is a next step. And we always make sure that the client is really calling the shot. So even when we wrap up our meetings, the client is dictating next steps, not us. So we'll ask them what they thought, what were the highlights, what resonated, if nothing, that type of thing, how would you like to proceed? And so it's always driven on the client timeline and not our timeline. I think that's a huge distinction that has bode well for us. And we always have clear next steps identified and usually executed at that time of the meeting, whatever that next step may be. Dan, what I'd add to that is to not forget the basics. Remember the the basic things. Who's got the microphone first? What are you going to say? What's our mindset going in? Just just refresh on the basics is, is always a helpful thing, especially as these behaviors become ingrained and normalized. You can get ahead of yourself and think about all of the domain relevance and the, the content we're going to be walking through and get mired in, in those realities. But remembering the basics has, has been key for us as well. Anything in particular that you guys do there to try to ensure that you do stay in the moment as you're listening to the prospect? Yeah, when we're getting into the dialogue and we hit on a particular area of interest uh, or importance to maintain your curiosity and, and interest in, in what we're talking about, right? So staying in the moment, asking the questions, maybe going a layer or two deep especially when they say, I have a problem, I want to solve it. I'm not going to a solution right away. Let's understand, okay, what have you done to date, right? What's the historical context kind of using those past, present, future question sets that allow the conversation to really flourish um, and get to, you know, the right answer on behalf of of the prospect. I think one of the ways we stay present uh, that might be slightly different is opening on a personal level. If this is a business conversation or a business transaction, we lose the ability to empathize and to sympathize with the prospect. And so one of the things we do really well or that we focus on is the human-centered element of the conversation. Where are they today? What's going on in their lives outside of this business conversation or this transaction that we're talking about? And I think that's one of the ways that that we stay not not detached from the person, but detached from the the business problem, because these are people that we want to help in their career, in their job, in their lives. And so that's one of the ways that I think we we keep that humility, we keep that awareness, and we keep it in context of, of what we're really trying to achieve. I was just going to 
bring up something that we had talked about in a previous episode, Dan, the credentializing piece of what you guys do. I think it's a huge part of what you do as consultants because you have these giant corporations that you have done business with in the past and helped with some giant projects. And a lot of times you're working with organizations so large that they have no idea what one department over here is doing and another department over here is doing. And so sometimes it is necessary to credentialize or fill them in on some of the previous work and experience that you have with their organization. But how do you do that from a detached, high intent, abundant way? One is if the clients need you to credentialize, they'll ask you. Don't forget they'll ask. So you answer the questions that they ask. So when you're overt and say, we've done this 10,000 times or we're experts, maybe they already knew that or maybe that didn't matter to them. So that's one is they'll ask. Two is as the conversation progresses, if you're getting to a place of proposal or of specificity, you can credentialize and display knowledge on a topic by the way we're asking questions. Again, that domain relevance and the the details of, of getting support from a consultant require specific questions. You can't just stop with, why is this a problem? What would an ideal outcome look like? Anyone can ask those two questions and advance a conversation, but to get into the, the heart of the matter, you need to have done this before or need to understand likely where this is headed which is how we credentialize is through the questions we're asking, not in displaying the knowledge. Love that because I think there's such a huge misnomer out there right now that you have to talk about your experiences, your certifications, your awards and all this. I don't think people care. I think it's so powerful when you can do it and it's done because of the questions that you're asking and how you're helping that prospect think differently about their business. I think somebody can ask you for your credentials in a way to disqualify you. And then there's another way they can ask to better understand your history with their organization. How can you delineate between the two in an actual conversation? Because I'm sure you guys have gotten asked that question. What other work have you done with our team in both ways? I don't typically like to answer a question with a question. However, after we answer their qualifying question, it's important to understand why that is of value to them without saying something robotic like, why does that matter? Or what will you do this information? Whether it's, hey, how does experience within your organization play a role in this in this challenge you're facing? Or are you looking for something that has been done because you need to sell this internally? And your organization values other organizations' stamp of approval, right? We've done this at other clients of your size, so therefore it will pass muster with your executive committee. We want to know why. And so we need to answer, but we also need to ask why and keep that conversation moving because there's something behind it to your point, Kylie. And we want to discover what that is without without blindly answering and moving to the next topic. As kind of like a wrap-up question. What is one key shift or takeaway that you had in the last year or so, either from this training or how you've seen it play out in your conversations? What's just one key takeaway or nugget that you'd want to leave with our audience? 
I would say, Kylie, making it about them and not us has been the biggest game changer because everything flows from there. Once we started consciously doing it that way, the results followed and our clients were extremely happy with, with the work that we've done and the relationships that have been developed. So I would say moving it from a sales experience to a high intent, neutral, client centric experience has, has really made massive payoff for both sides. Mine would be self-awareness. There are a lot of changes that can and should be made based on the training material, based on best practice. But if you don't know what you're doing now, it's hard to determine where your opportunities for improvement are. We don't tape these conversations. We don't watch ourselves on video. And that's where accepting the feedback, being hyper aware of how we typically do things allows us the environment or the platform to change and include what you've learned as a best practice. So having a partner do that with you, really being focused on that prep of what what we should be doing versus what we have a tendency to do. I, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is being self-aware of our habits and our rituals and which which ones need to change. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's lappin dot 180com And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?